Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Fears of a new violent feud on the Shankill. A pub has been extensively damaged after it was ransacked by around 20 masked men on the Shankill Road. Some of the men carried baseball bats. Friday the 27th of January. Bar Berlin on Belfast Shankill Road gets thrashed. Around 20 men attacked, smashing windows, televisions and damaging the interior of the bar. It's been alleged the UDA were behind the attack with the focus on top loyalist Mo Courtney. The, the person who ordered it is Mo Courtney and William Mo Courtney was somebody who is linked to C Company over the years but also has been linked and named in connection with some really high profile killings. There are fears in the Shankill that there could be more violence to come. People who are either associated with Mo Courtney or above Mo Courtney in terms of that have been very keen to try and get the police off the Shankill where they are currently increasing their, their patrols and checkpoints and try and calm this down. I'm joined by our security correspondent Alison Morris to find out more. Alison, once again, you're very welcome to the Bell Tale studio. Um, 20 men attack a bar on the Shankill Road, thrashing it. What exactly happened that Friday night? Well, what we know is that, as you say, 20 men who were armed with bats and bars and cudgels attacked the, the Berlin bar on the Shankill. They smashed windows. Um, there was quite a few people inside the bar at the time, caused quite a lot of damage. Clearly, there was, you know, the threat of that was to send out a message um, in terms of, of what was going on. What's interesting too is when we say 20 men, um, these are sort of little, you know, boy soldiers, almost runners for the C Company of the UDA and some of them are incredibly young. I mean, almost probably of school age young. You know, some of them would be like 16, 17, 18 years of age, um, along with obviously grown men who were involved in, in orchestrating it. So um, the, the obviously the message was being sent out. There is a, a, a guy, he's a convicted criminal, but he doesn't have any paramilitary convictions called Mark Pollock. Um, his wife is a girl called Becky Spence Pollock and we must be very careful here to point out Becky Spence Pollock has no criminal record is completely you know an innocent party and all of this but her husband has got into a bit of bother with the um, C company of the Shankill UDA and this is where all this stems this has been going on and it's been bubbling under the surface for quite some time 
Sea Company are notorious historically in terms of involvement in feuds and one of the most active branches of the UDA, historically at least. Active and, and best armed at one point. And, you know, for those probably young enough, and I'm, I'm very jealous that you're young enough not to remember all this, but Sea um, Company was led by Johnny Adair, who's probably maybe one of the, the most infamous loyalist paramilitaries in Northern Ireland's history. He then was subject to a feud and he was deposed and, and exiled off in Scotland where he still resides. Um, but during the, the conflict, Sea Company were responsible for multiple murders and a lot of the in a lot of cases they were, you know, random and, and indiscriminate killings. They just went places where they knew that the Catholics would be. Um, they shut up bars, you know, taxi drivers, delivery drivers. So they were infamous in terms of the amount of activity that went on, especially in that sort of late eighties, nineties period. Um, and as you said, but there's also a, a, a very real history and well-documented history of fighting with other factions of loyalism within that sea company unit as well. Bar Berlin is about halfway up the Shankill Road. It, uh, I've been looking at the bar. It's very much they'd, they'd, they'd done up the bar to look because it's, there's also a Ranger Supporters Club uh, based in the bar. There's obviously been an awful lot of money spent on it. It's very much a loyalist identity, uns- unsurprisingly, uh, in terms of the Shankill. Who do you think ordered this? Well, it's the the person who ordered it is Mo Courtney, and Mo Courtney again. William Mo Courtney was somebody who is you know linked to C Company over the years, but also has been linked and named in connection with some really high profile killings. He was has been named numerous times as having been connected to the murder of Pat Finucane in 1989. Pat Finucane was a, a very well-known solicitor. He was a human rights solicitor. He founded Madeline Finucane Legal Firm and he would also have represented a lot of um, leading Republicans in IRA very successfully and managed to get a lot of people convictions overturned and um, and defend a lot of people in that respect. And that, in those days, despite the fact that, you know, we now, it seems almost unthinkable that you would associate the solicitor's work with the, the clients that he represents, that made him a, a target. So Pat Finucan was shot dead in front of his wife and, and three children in February 1989. His wife was also injured in that attack. They were sitting eating their Sunday dinner when loyalists burst into their house and two gunmen opened, opened fire on them. And that killing is one of those that has continually come up because it was linked to collusion um, within what was said to be the intelligence services and that faction of, of loyalism. And there was a review... The Finucans have campaigned tirelessly, obviously, for an inquiry into that killing. They have been refused inquiry by successive British governments, but there was a review of that killing carried out by the, the late barrister Desmond de Silva, um, who found that there was what he, in quotes, shocking levels of collusion with loyalist agents working for MI5, RUC, Special Branch and Military Intelligence. And it, while the loyalists are named throughout it and their activity is named, they appear under ciphers. But if you do my job, it's quite easy to work out who those ciphers are just by what they link them to. And Mo Courtney appears throughout the De Silva Review under the cipher L25. And we have pages in front of us uh, about Mo Courtney. His paramilitary career begins in his teens. He's now 60 years of age. We mentioned C Company and Johnny Adair. He originally 
went sided with Johnny Adair in, in those feuds at the time, but then he defected back to the to the to the what would they call we call the mainstream UDA. Well, there, I mean, there's a there's a chain of events that happened that went, meant that Johnny Adair went from obviously someone who was almost an icon in loyalist circles to someone who was then exiled, and him and his supporters. He was jailed at the time when his supporters were told to to get off the shankel. Um, what happened in February 2003 is that Southeast Antrim. UDA boss John Gregg known as Grug was shot dead along with um, a guy called Robert Carson at an underpass at a, a ferry terminal not too far from the offices that we're sitting in now in Belfast docks while returning from a Rangers match Adair had had problems he had fell out with Grug the two didn't get on he ordered his killing and after that then the rest of C Company were told to leave along with their supporters wives, children the whole lot but some of the more um, <clears throat> high profile and seasoned members of C Company were given an option to defect and Mo Courtney then turned his back on Adair and defected back into the mainstream UDA. Um, he did this in, in quite a public way. Part of that whole feud with uh, Adair and the rest of the UDA came about because, well, and, and the UVF, sorry, came about because of Adair's growing friendship and support for LVF boss Billy Wright, who clearly had fallen out with the UVF. He had a mural painted on the shankle to the LVF. It was, you know, sort of brothers in arms, UDA and LVF. And after then he was deposed and left. And Mo Courtney was filmed by a TV crew defacing the, the mural, going through and paint over this mural. So he very publicly distanced himself from Adair when he realised that things were going wrong. And Adair has remained, as we know, in Scotland in exile ever since. When he was released from prison, he was actually taken by helicopter. Mo Courtney, as I said, is 60 years of age, um, but he still is involved with the UDA. As sources said that he's directly involved. He's ordered this attack on, on Bar Berlin. There's trouble on the Shankill. I mean, is, is there a potential this could get worse? Well, I mean, if you look back at some of the things, I suppose, that that branch of the UDA were involved in over, over the years, but they have since sort of morphed into what is a sort of organised criminal enterprise. And there's a lot of money involved um, in those sort of things. But there's also, I suppose, a lot of uh, macho, you know, pride and ego and territory and all of those things that come along with those sort of gangland style feuds. So we, we say it's a company of the UDA, but I mean, really we're talking about now you know, the conflict is long since over. The UDA is basically has sort of morphed into an organised crime gang and that's what it is. So this is something that's to do with money. It's to do with territory. It's also to do with people's own egos and refusing to stand down when they're being challenged. And that is where all of this stems from. And, you know, I do know since obviously this happened last week, there has been a lot of effort to try and calm things down. And the reasons for that isn't because people want to preserve life and limb. It's because if you start, you know, feuding with each other, this is not, you know, the 80s and 90s anymore. You know, we don't have a security situation raging outside the door. They will, the full force of the PSNI, the National Crime Agency, it will all come down heavy to bear on them. And I think that, you know, people who are either associated with Mo Courtney or above Mo Courtney in terms of that have been very keen to try and get the police off the shankle where they are currently um, increasing their, their patrols and checkpoints and try and calm this down. 
will it calm down or not? I don't know. You're dealing with incredibly unpredictable people. You know, the sources I spoke to last week, basically the, their exact quote was, Mo has lost the plot and he's not listening to anyone. He's, you know, at this point in time, anything could happen. So in terms of that, I mean, we see these things come in cycles and cycles of, of violence that have happened. But if we look back at the sort of UVF-UDA feud, which... Um, you know, claimed many lives and, and caused all sorts of issues on the Shankill way back then. But more specifically, you know, to that that and that UDA feud as well. And that turned, you know, it was almost brother against brother type stuff. And those feelings run deep and they're they're still remembered. I mean, when it comes to the, the UVF and UDA feud, over 600 families were displaced from the Shankill. You know, many moved to places, you know, outside of Belfast, Ballyclare, sort of bangered on a good day all around there and they never returned so they sort of ripped it ripped the heart out of that community and it's never been you know the same since and people remember that and memories run long and deep so I do think that if anyone has it in their mind to try and start another sort of 1990s style loyalist feud um, I don't think it's going to go the same way as it went then and also I do think that you know we have a community there slightly more empowered now who would feel more empowered to speak out against such things and with regards to feuding, uh, Mo Courtney was also convicted of the manslaughter of fellow uh, loyalist Alan Bucky McCullough. Uh, and he is also convicted of the assault of Tracy Coulter in 2013 in the offices of the Lower Shankill Community Association. And Mrs Coulter uh, uh, is a daughter of loyalist Jackie Coulter, who was uh, gunned down in a separate feud with the UVF. So clearly this inter-Nicene, inter-community um, violence has a huge effect uh, on the shank and in other areas. It's interesting because a lot of those figures from that time, you know, people who I would have been reporting on 20 years ago, many of them have just moved on and got on with their lives. They're now, you know, people of a certain age. I mean, they're not not spring chickens. I mean, I think Will Courtney's turned 60 this year. The fact that, first of all, he's still running around with, you know, a bunch of teenagers doing his bidding and still involved in this kind of activity is quite bizarre, really, for for someone who's, who's getting on with most of those people. Um, I mean, we talk about the early releases, which is probably one of the most difficult aspects of the Good Friday Agreement for people to accept. But in the main, the majority of people who were let out of prison at that time went on to live other productive lives within their community or just disappeared into the ether and just got on with their lives and were never heard of again. Um, whereas this is a name that continually comes up. I mean, the murder of Alan Bucky McCulloch, I reported that at the time, and it was particularly gruesome. I remember going to his house to, uh, to speak to his mother. Her um, husband had been shot in 1981 by the NLA, and she had been left alone with very small children. And then her son, Alan, was one of Johnny Dar's associates, so he was told to get out and he fled with them. But he was a a homebody and he couldn't settle and he just wanted to come back again so his mother at that time went and spoke to a number of people including Mo Courtney and asked look is there no way he could come back you know he doesn't want nothing to do with the door anymore he just wants to come home and get on with his life and they were told that you know inquiries would be made arrangements would be made in the end he um, I don't think he could stick it any longer in exile and he, he came home and his family reported that Mo Courtney and Ahab Shukri, who was one of the, the two Shukri brothers who were heavily involved in, in the, the UDA at that time. Ahab Shukri later died, later died of a, a drugs overdose, but they came and picked him up and he was never seen alive again. The first trial of that collapsed, despite the fact that, you know, there was evidence from his family saying that he picked him up. 
there was eyewitnesses who saw it was very distinctive. He had a blue Mitsubishi car outside at the, the entrance to the place where his body was found, that soil deposits were found on his clothing and shoes that came from that site. The, the trial um, collapsed and then there was a second trial and just about as that was about to go ahead he changed his plea and was found guilty of manslaughter and sentenced to, to eight years he did about six of those maybe um, and then released so yeah he has conviction for that that was a funeral of killing that was incredibly sad you know Alan McCulloch was a very young man who'd I think due to the fact that his father had been murdered had lost his way and become involved with the UDA and his mother then ended up you know she was husbandless and, and childless at that stage. You, you know, he couldn't help but feel sorry for his mother at the end of that. But it's it's just one of those names. It's interesting when it comes up, you almost shrug and go, again? You know, are we going to be writing about this person again? Surely at some point this has to stop. A Westminster committee has heard that uh, paramilitary groups have coerced young people with drug debts to take part in rioting. I noticed that... Uh, the loyalist activist Jimmy Bryson has said he's never heard anything like this and and, uh, and suspects that, as he said, this, th- these are lies. Do you think there's any basis in th- to that story? I think that anyone went in front of a Westminster committee and purposely told lies. It's maybe something that has been told to them. But in my experience, you don't need to coerce young people into rats. You know, if you go into any um, working class community, especially where there's young people who feel very sort of disillusioned and disengaged from other education, politics and everything else, the minute a rat starts, they will flock to it and they do not need. We used to have this terrible phrase that we would have used called recreational ratting, where young people just ratted for the sake of ratting with each other, you know, at interfaces. Um, and nothing particularly needed to happen to spark that off. It just used to happen on a regular basis at the weekend as though it was some kind of entertainment. And in my experience, you know, young people find uh, riots, especially young men find riots a very attractive place to be at times. And I certainly don't know of any of them that would need to be bribed or paid or coerced into doing it. Um, the problem isn't with, the, you know, them being bribed or paid or owing money to paramilitaries. The problem is that these circumstances still exist and that people are still exploiting political developments, things such as the protocol and things like that, to, to, to use young people in this sort of way and have them out on the streets rat. And we've seen that two years ago on the Shankill where there was buses burnt and other places. And you see very, very, very young people who are involved in that. And, you know, it pains me because... The many rats linked to the prison disputes and everything else that's went on over the years. And if those young people get a criminal record for that kind of activity, you know, it has an impact on the rest of their life in terms of their employment, but also in terms of travel. You're never getting into America or Australia or anywhere like that, you know, with a rat conviction. Um, and so it's so life limiting and it does frustrate me that it's still happening at this point in time because politics should be politics and, and taking politics back out onto the streets. Um, is surely not the answer to any any of our, our problems at this point in time, regardless of what they are. For a young person to get a, a rat conviction over a protocol that they have no role in either, they had no role in either putting in place or removing, it's something that can only be done with the diplomacy between the British government and the EU, um, is a complete and utter nonsense. And so I would hope that, you know, that those efforts would be made, first of all, to make sure that doesn't happen again, but also, and I'll say it again, if there is a rat, I mean, I've covered rats and interfaces sometimes and thought, oh God, could somebody remove those children, please, before they get they get hurt? But, you know, if you will, at that point in time, you keep people getting, you know, young men were getting busting from all over the place. And the reason why you know that is because when they're caught and they appear in court, 
they have addresses that are like 20 miles away, you know, from where the riot took place. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I would be sceptical of that story. Alison Marsh, crime correspondent with the Belfast Telegraph. Thank you. This episode of The Bell Tale was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar. The sound design was by Graham Davidson. The clip you heard was from the BBC. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.